Hey friends, it's Candace Eisner back with you again this week. And this week is the second episode on my series on building a strong private practice. And this week, we are going to talk about setting up your new office, the top five things I think you need. Welcome to Life Beyond the Massage Table, a podcast for massage therapists, or really anyone who works in health and wellness. I'm here to help you take a look at your business and practice in new ways, to think outside the box, and to shift gears from the same old stuff that isn't helping you build the life and the business that you really want. Let's get started. Hey, well, welcome back to yet another episode of the podcast. I hope you guys are all faring well this week. I know things have been pretty chaotic in the world the last few weeks, but uh, yeah, I... uh, Hope things are going well with you. And uh, if you're listening to this, you know, shortly after I release it, I'm sure a lot of you are just back to work now, or uh, maybe you're just about to go back to work. I know my own massage therapist office don't plan to go back until July. So there's a few more weeks left until they potentially are going to be back at work. But uh, yeah, regardless, I uh, hope this series of episodes helps you guys out. And uh, let's just dive into this topic right now. So yeah, I wanted to talk about the top five things I think you need when setting up a new office. And yeah, these apply pretty well no matter what kind of business you have in health and wellness, you know, that sphere, that realm of health and wellness businesses. Now, let me be real here, real talk. The way I wrote this episode before the whole COVID thing hit, because this was a series of episodes I planned to start releasing in March. Um... That was my content calendar. This I was supposed to be starting a second series of episodes for 2020 on a completely different topic by now. You know, real talk, real world. But COVID happened. So we had to change things up, as uh, those of you who listen to my episodes regularly know. But yeah, the way I wrote this episode before COVID is very different from what I'm recording for you guys today. You know, what's in my notes today is very different. Originally, this episode was going to be about setting up an office that's appealing to your clients and functional for you. Because a lot of people, when they set up their space for the first time, they kind of approach, or really any time, like, let's be real. You know, if you move offices, sometimes you have that same mindset. And what's that mindset? Well, you tend to approach it the same way you would decorate an apartment or a house. You tend to think about like what you like in decorations and I mean you you think about what you need to but you tend to focus on well I like this color I like this you know I think this looks pretty I think this looks nice and you kind of go to town but of course just because you like avant-garde art or you like bright pink walls or you like bold floral prints doesn't mean your business should necessarily have those things right But that said, COVID has changed things, has changed the world, it's changed the way you all work, at least most of you, maybe not every single one of you, but the vast majority of you. Regulations in most areas have limited us to what we're allowed to have in our workspaces. And if you don't have a regulatory body overseeing you, you probably are still changing up a lot of the ways you do things because that's just smart during a pandemic. You don't want to be you know, at fault for spreading disease, obviously. So even places that don't have a regulatory body are doing things like, you know, mandatory masks and, you know, uh, extra hand washing and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, let me give you a funny example of that. I've actually read from uh, some Facebook groups that I'm on. Um, Those of you who ever been to a massage therapist or maybe you're a massage therapist yourself, you've probably noticed that they tend to have, you know, nice, nice fabrics on the, you know, like nice curtains. Maybe they've got like a matching blanket that goes on the table. Like, you know, they, they try to make the space look nice. That's that's just a normal thing to want to do, like regardless of, you know, functionality and all that kind of stuff. Right. And. In most areas right now, fabrics that aren't cleaned or changed between every single patient are no longer permitted. So people have had to get a little creative with how they decorate their space now. They can't just have empty windows, right? That's not okay for client privacy. And it feels really weird if you've got like these big open windows. So the solution some therapists have come like some massage therapists and you know like professions who also have to deal with this the solution they've come up with is using heavy plastic shower curtains that can be sanitized like wiped down with Lysol wipes in between each patient which is a great solution and something none of us would have ever done prior to COVID you know we would have gone like shower curtains who would do that well now that we have to sanitize them, yeah, it is something that people have been doing. So yeah, all's to say, things have changed and most people have pretty minimalist spaces for their work. They no longer can have, you know, nice throw cushions and toys in the waiting room, like just lots of things that have had to change. But that said, you still need to set up an office to be nice for clients and functional for you, regardless of these new COVID requirements. So this episode, to say... All's to say, I'm going to talk a little bit about COVID, but honestly, this is stuff I would have recommended to you guys prior to COVID, prior to the beginning of this year. And also, just to be clear here, for the five things are all physical things that you can purchase or like sign up for. If you want to talk about essential mindsets, go back an episode. And if you want to talk about things like, you know, what to do with your marketing, how to find clients, well, I've got content coming up about that, hint, hint. So uh, that's coming up in this series. And one last little caveat, I'm not going to be listing things that I hope are obvious, like having your licenses, you know, professional business, whatever you're acquired in your area and profession, and your insurance and, you know, really, really obvious stuff that is like required by law to have for your for your practice, your business, your space, your studio. Um, those things are not optional. And we're not even going to mention them other than what I'm mentioning right now. So this is the other stuff, the stuff that could potentially be optional, but I don't think you should make it optional. I think you should strongly consider these things. So enough of that. Let's get into this. So the number one thing, is probably obvious if you're on my email list or you know a bit about my business beyond this whole podcast thing that I do. You want to take a guess? You know, uh, in uh, podcast production, I would I would insert the Jeopardy music here, but uh, that would probably get my podcast pulled for copyright claim. So we won't do that. So instead, you could just imagine or you can hum it to yourself while you're, you know, listening to this podcast episode or on the treadmill or whatever you do when you listen to podcasts or, you know, clean your house or whatever. So, uh, but yeah, probably some of you guessed that number one thing I think you need to have is a website, right? Now, if you are brand new to your profession or you just don't have much budget, even if you've been working for years, 
you can totally go the DIY route. I'm not telling you you have to hire me or some other designer to create your website. And I'm actually going to put a link to the show notes about, you know, just some information about creating your website. I've written several articles on my website about that. If you've got the time, honestly, you can put it together a pretty nice website with one of those DIY website builders. That's totally fine. And if you're not very techy or you kind of just want to wait a bit, like you want to save up some money and hire a professional later, which is also totally fine. And yeah, you know, I am biased. I think that you can produce a better website if you hire a professional, but I also get that not everybody can do that. So DIY is totally fine. But if you need to do something cheap and quick and DIY and you don't have a lot of time, what you can do is you can put up a very, very simple website that just says your name, your profession, what services you do, and your contact information. That's it. You don't have to have anything fancy schmancy with like lots of photos and information and links and all that kind of stuff. You can do something really, really simple. It doesn't have to be complicated to get your sort of quote unquote name out there on the internet. Now, why do I think this is an essential thing and not something that you should wait on? Why do I think this is one of my top five? Well, it's not just because I'm a web designer. I mean, yeah, like I said, I am biased, but there's there's more to it than that. I have a couple reasons. The first is that it is a key point of entry for clients to find you. It's where you can put information that people will find on Google. You know what? It is 2020. Honestly, everyone needs to have a website. Unless you've got a full practice and client roster and you've been practicing for a really long time and you've never seen the need for a website because word of mouth works for you. Fine, you don't need a website. But the vast majority of you listening to this, if you are newer to practice or you're opening a new practice or you are shifting from working from someone for someone else to working for yourself, you need a website. <laughs> You're not in that position of having a full client roster right now, right? So yeah, you should really have that point of entry. The thing that shows clients who you are and what you have to offer. That is really, really important. And the second reason is that a website gives you more control than social media. Because I know a lot of the argument people have is, well, Candace, I would rather just build my practice using Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Like, I don't want to have to have a website. And... Social media is great, you know, it's a way to communicate with people, it's a way to get to know them, um, it's a way to get to know your community, it's all about connection, right? But there are major limitations in using social media, and I have said it in past episodes, but in general, only a small percentage of your quote-unquote fans, whether it's like followers or friends or, you know, whatever it's called on the social media platform you're, you're thinking about, only a small percentage of them actually see your posts. And if you didn't know that, well, there you go. You know, now you know. Um, unless you pay to boost them, of course. So if you pay for advertising, which is a whole other thing. And, you know, social media is nice and all, but people tend to stay on the platform. That is what they want. Facebook wants you to keep scrolling Facebook and not click off onto someone's website. Instagram wants you to keep scroll in Instagram, although Instagram is owned by Facebook. So it's kind of the same thing. The same thing, no matter what social media platform you like, whether it's, you know, Snapchat or TikTok or whatever, you know, the, the companies want you to stay there, read more posts, comment, etc. They don't want you to be clicking off somewhere else. But where do you get people to book? Well, 
it's not usually directly from social media. Yeah, social media might be where someone learns about you, but that's not where they're booking most of the time. I realize that there are some cases where people are messaging on, in, you know, on um, Instagram or Facebook in the DMs and, you know, g- getting bookings that way. But that's not that common. Uh, most of the time, companies, uh, businesses, small businesses, especially like you guys, where are people, you know, booking? Well, they're booking from your website, either going to your email or going into your online booking, right? That's what you want. You want people to be clicking on your online booking. You don't want people to be, you know, reading your Facebook post and going, well, that's nice and scrolling on to the next thing. But that's what Facebook and other similar platforms are made for. So all to say social media is great, but your website should come first. It should always come first. The website is where where you're going to grab their attention and hopefully convince them to book with you, right? The website is where you link your your online booking. And yeah, you can link your social media too, but that's what the website is for. So that's why I really feel a website is an essential part of opening your new private practice. All right, next topic. We Hopefully you got that. So website, important, even if it's super simple and DIY. Let's shift to another topic. It's actually something that I've already mentioned. And that's that I think you should have online booking. Possibly with paperless charting if you are in a profession that needs to do charting, which is actually a lot of you. Um, I know people who do private yoga sessions don't necessarily do charts, although I know some of you do. Some of you, it's not really charts the same way that like a medical professional would do, but you still like make a few notes about like the session or that someone has an injury or, you know, stuff like that. Because it helps you the next time they book a a yoga private with you. Um, I know not everybody does that, but some of you do. So um, yeah, I really think that online booking potentially with online charting, paperless charting is something that you should invest in. So for some of you, I feel, or for some of you, I know you feel like this is an expense you cannot afford right now. And I I totally hear you. Now, there are some free options out there actually for online booking. It might not have the charting aspect, but it at least has a way for people to book into your calendar without having to, you know, email you or anything like that. And the thing is, If you're a solo practitioner, which is the vast majority of you listening, you don't have anyone answering the phone or emails or text messages for you. And at first, it might feel like it's a really easy thing to do, follow up on all that stuff, the emails, the text messages, etc. from from patients, clients, potential clients. But as time goes on, you're going to find it hard to keep up with that stuff. The more bookings you get, the harder it is for you to keep up on the stuff that keeps your books full. And additionally, you're going to find yourself in situations where, you know, like you answered your phone while you were out running errands and it turned out to be a client wanting to book an appointment and you're pretty sure you have a 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, but you don't have your book in front of you, so you can't check. So that, so, you know, by the time you get home and you follow up with that person, they've already decided to book with someone else or they've just, you know, done something else or they can't take 10 a.m. now or whatever. And actually, uh, like real talk, real world example here, a website design client of mine, um, we are working on her website, said that she wasn't going to have online booking. That's what she said in our initial consult. Um, a week in, she decided to to implement online booking. She said it was getting to be too much trying to juggle everything, you know. Um, so real world example there. 
that's the way it is most of the time is it's just hard when you work solo to do everything. So having online booking is almost like having a sort of a digital receptionist, if you want to think of that. It doesn't have the same human touch, but it certainly helps you keep your bookings full. It's honestly your best friend when you're a solo practitioner. So it's a must have, you know, and like I said, there are free options out there or very low cost options. It does You don't have to go full featured thousands of dollars type thing. And online charting, well, let me talk about that for a second. Why do I think it's essential for those of you who do charts, like all the medical, all my medical professional uh, listeners out there, as well as, you know, people who are in adjunct professions, maybe you're not a regulated health professional, but you certainly work in a healthcare type way. Um, I say that online charting is essential for environmental reasons. It's 2020, we need to do our part to reduce waste. And that includes stuff like you know, and printing out tons of paper and having to buy file folders to keep charts in and just all those things that come, all the, you know, the waste that comes with doing charting, even pencil or sorry, yeah, pens, because you can't write your charts in pencil, even pens, you know, uh, they're disposable. That's just kind of an issue. So given that we're in a global pandemic that has, well, unfortunately caused many of us to have to purchase a lot of single use items because we can no longer use our reusable bags or reusable this, that and the other thing. You know, even my uh, local eco shop where we used to be able to go and get uh, eco-friendly bulk refills because of the pandemic, they've now got a container swap thing that they do. So you have to use their containers, but you can swap. So, you know, if you buy one liter of, say, dish detergent, you can swap the cleaned container for a filled one. Um, It does reduce waste, but it still doesn't completely reduce waste because I used to just go in with my, my own, like, you know, a jar that had kombucha in it or a mason jar that had soup in it, you know, that I cleaned out or whatever. So I used to really try to reduce waste that way, but I can't do that anymore. You know, and a lot of other shops, you know, real talk here are doing the same thing. Um, Plus there's single use items. Like I said, you know, uh, a lot of grocery stores aren't allowing people to use their fabric bags. They now have to buy their groceries in the plastic bags just for safety reasons. Um, People are using gloves a lot more often for things. People are you know, buying medical masks and then throwing them away. You know, there's a lot of waste that's being generated right now because of the pandemic. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing these safety measures. We need to do them, unfortunately, in terms of the environment. But yeah, you know, if you can find other ways to reduce your waste, yes, you have increased waste because you have to buy the masks and stuff. But if you can find ways to reduce your waste in other ways, that is really, really helpful. And it's sort of I'm not going to say it fully offsets things, but it certainly helps. So online charting is just an easy way for you to do this. It doesn't have to be a complicated million dollar solution. It has to be obviously safe and up to standard for whatever profession you're in. There are affordable options out there, though. So it's just it's something I strongly recommend you look into, especially since some of them will have like a, you know, full featured package where you can get multiple things that you might want to use all in one for a reasonable price. So like you might get online booking and online charting and email marketing software and maybe some other things that you can use in terms of, you know, uh, your business all in one solution. So, you know, it's it's worth the cost is what I'm saying. That might that might be a payment processor. And uh, speaking of that, that's actually my third essential thing to have in your private practice is a way for people to pay easily and quickly. And that should also include paperless receipts, so emailed receipts or 
I guess text message receipts is also a possibility, although I don't personally know of anyone who does that, but it, it probably is a thing. Um, now, you're probably thinking like, well, Candace, duh, like I don't work for free. Of course, I need a way to take payments. Like, what are you, stupid? <laughs> but uh, hopefully you don't actually think that. But, uh, you know, what I mean is actually, you know, I think I'm I think it's OK if I poke fun at myself. Right. But some something other than cash or email money transfer. That's what I'm trying to say. You need to find a simple way for people to pay you that is contactless, especially again, you know, I am mentioning the pandemic right now, but honestly, I would have recommended a payment processor well before, you know, any of you who've been listening for a while know that I do strongly believe that you should have a payment processor that isn't just cash or old fashioned, super old fashioned check, you know? There's solutions like Square or Wave or sometimes, like I said, the online booking providers have something. You know, years ago, I might not have felt this was as important. I might have sort of nudged you in that direction, but I wouldn't have necessarily said it was an absolute requirement. But these days, I honestly feel just it's 2020. You need a way to bill clients without them having to physically hand hand you like a cash cash or a card, you know. Um, And that has to include some sort of workflow where you email them receipts. And as much as you might think, oh, you know, I can just do email money transfers and then send them a PDF receipt later. Well, in practice, that might work for a short period of time, but it's honestly a huge time suck. Just trying to return client emails is bad enough, right? Now imagine having to enter a whole bunch of client payments into an additional system and then email them a receipt. Um. Actually, you know, again, real talk, real life uh, example here. My my uh, therapist um, does this, and I love her, and I think she's amazing, and like I recommend her to anyone in the Toronto area who you know needs uh, therapy. But uh, it takes her a while to get the receipts out, you know, um, because she uses Square Payments, and that does give me a uh, like a receipt proving that I paid, but it doesn't give me the receipt for my insurance. So she has to go into her system and manually, you know, put in that information. So that's just another thing to think about. Um, If you do decide to do square payments, it might be worth it to you to try and find a way to make the receipt process as simplified as possible. So it's not a big time suck. You know, uh, so yeah, just do yourself a favor and sign up for something um, that that works, that is works for your workflow and isn't something that's going to take up hours of your day, you know, all the time, you know, and your clients will thank you for that, by the way. They'll thank you for being simple and easy. And honestly, your future self is going to thank you too, you know, and, and again, you just about my therapist. She is great. She always gets the receipts out within a week. Um, just sometimes it's like, I'll get home from the session and it's already in my inbox and sometimes I don't get the receipt for a week and it just depends on how busy she is. That's all. It's just sort of the human thing. So that's what I'm saying is like, you know, make it easy on yourself. Don't don't have a system where you have to do multiple steps to get out the receipts to people if at all possible. Find find something simple and easy in your workflow, but do definitely get a payment processor. Don't rely on just cash. And the fourth thing, let's let's move on from this sort of online stuff, because we've been talking about website, we've been talking about payment processing, we've been talking about online booking, we've been talking about, you know, your digital workflow, if you want to think of it. Let's move on from that and talk about something else. 
So the fourth thing I think you need for your private practice of the five, this is something that I wouldn't have strongly thought about prior to COVID, but it is something that I did sometimes think about, partly because I'm female. And that is a safe space for your clients to wait for you. Now, before COVID, it might have been obvious that you needed a waiting room. Like, I I know that some people, it's tricky to have a waiting room, depending on the type of practice you have, like where you're located. You know, I know, for example, sometimes you have to leave the door locked until just a couple minutes before the appointment, purely for safety reasons. If you're working alone, you know, and no one else is there, you don't want to have just the door open all the time. Certainly when I worked at my own uh, private practice location, that was a bit of an issue. But uh, yeah, now that we have COVID, it's just kind of complicated matters a little bit. Because you want to avoid having multiple people in a small space at the same time, if it's at all possible. So you can't just do what you used to do, which is have, you know, the next client just sitting there waiting while you're finishing up with the previous one. Like that was, you know, that was just simple and easy. And like for anyone who had a an office designed where you could have an actual physical waiting room, and maybe you had somebody at the front desk a lot of the time, like maybe you work somewhere that had a receptionist, Um. Yeah, you know, that's just sort of an obvious thing to do. But even now with COVID, those spaces are now having, you know, some tricky issues to have to figure out on their own as well. But if you're a solo practitioner, it's a little harder. You know, you don't have, um, you know, someone to sit at the desk and, and watch for people uh, when you're when you're in with a client. So, you know, there's the, I know there's a tricky juggling thing that you need to do. And one of the things I've seen places do now is ask clients to only show up five minutes or less before their appointment and or right on time if they can. And like that's not unreasonable to ask, definitely. But you still need somewhere for people to wait, whether, you know, if it's raining or snowing or super hot or super cold or whatever. And I understand that sometimes this can be tricky, you know, like I, like I mentioned, I used to work at a, you know, completely solo. I've, I've worked in multiple environments, but I used to have my own office with that I rented. And yeah, when no one else was there, um, I would lock all the doors, you know, and sometimes, you know, I try to go down and open it at least five minutes before people's appointments. And sometimes they'd be standing there and I felt bad, but like there was nothing I could do about it. You know, I, I can't just have it open all the time because that's not uh, safe for myself and the space. Like, gosh, it would I'd feel awful if like I'd left the door open and someone came in and like looted the place while I was trying to be in with a patient. And, uh, you know, that would be terrible for my landlord. It'd be terrible for all of us. Right. So, you know, it's just. It's one of those tricky issues. Um, and I've seen another some other uh, clinics, studios, etc. say one of their solutions is to tell people to wait in their car until they receive a text message that it's safe to come in, you know, because you're only supposed to have one person in the waiting room at a time. And I get that that works in many situations and it makes the, the COVID protocols a little easier to handle. But not all your clients are going to drive. Not all your clients are going to have a car. Not all your clients are going to have someone to drive them to their appointment. People rely on public transit and Lyft and, you know, those things to get around, especially in big cities. They can't always time things perfectly because they're at the mercy of the public transit system or someone else who is dropping them off or that kind of thing. 
And honestly, let's go back to that thing I said at the beginning about being female. As a female traveling alone, I don't want to be standing outside a business waiting for them to open the door after dark. And dark happens at 5 p.m. around here during the winter, right? That doesn't feel safe to me, even if it's in like a well-lit, well-populated area. And I know I'm not alone in these feelings. So the solution here honestly falls on you. It doesn't fall, it shouldn't fall on only your client. It shouldn't be your client's fault that they had no choice but to show up 20 minutes early. So what I recommend, and honestly, I mean, if they do show up 20 minutes early, I know that's harder. But even if they show up 10 minutes early, you know, you got to have a little bit of a workflow that works. So... What I recommend is trying your best to have enough space between clients so that the previous client can leave and you can start to clean your space before the next client arrives. Even if like the client has left and the next client comes in and just sits like in a chair waiting for you and then you finish up cleaning and then they can come in for their treatment. That's certainly better than like expecting people to show up only one or two minutes before their appointment or wait in their car until they have a text message, at least in most areas. If you have a tendency to run late, and I, you know, I know that's a struggle for some people, and this is not shaming you, but if you do have a tendency to run late, maybe try and figure out, like, give yourself a little bit extra, extra time, or like stagger your appointments in a different way. Just try to find a way to make that work so that, you know, the fact that you do tend to be late is fine. You can, you can work with it. That's just part of your personality. It's fine. Um, But find a way so that it doesn't become your client's problem. That's all I'm saying is like, don't don't say, well, sorry, I can only unlock the door at exactly your treatment time. Well, I mean, just try to try to have some try to try to have a heart and, you know, realize that not everybody can show up exactly on time because it's just really hard to do that. So overall, like I'm saying, you know, make sure your clients don't have to sit outside standing in the rain, the snow, the freezing cold, you know, the super crazy heat. Um, just find a way to make your your waiting room work. I really strongly think that this is just a an important thing right now, both in COVID and not in COVID. Have a safe space for people to wait and don't expect them to have to show up exactly at their appointment time if you can make it work. I realize some spaces it's a little harder and that, you know, but if you do have any kind of waiting space, even if it's literally just a chair sitting in the hall for where one person can wait, fine. You know, have that available to people. Encourage people to show up right at their appointment time. But maybe say, you know, if you can't show up, there is a safe space for you to come in. It's just, I'm at, if you're, if at all possible, if you're able to time it, come right at your appointment time. But if you have to show up early, don't worry. We do have a safe space for you. That's basically what I'm trying to say with this one. I realize I've kind of been talking around it because I, I see both sides of it. I see... The practitioner side, maybe you don't have a safe space, maybe it's hard, maybe it's tricky because you don't have somebody, you know, to watch out while you're in treatment, you know, and you want to feel safe yourself. I totally get that. Um, But on the other hand, you know, you have to try and think about what your client's needs are as well. So just try to balance the two. That's what I'm saying. So let's move on from that topic, but I hope you see the reason why I am emphasizing the waiting room thing right now, both with COVID and not with COVID. Um, And the final thing on my list, and this one should totally be a take your own advice thing, it's you need a good chair. (laughs) I know it is tempting to just buy the cheapest chair you can find, like especially with all the expenses that come with opening your own private practice. I totally get it. 
You know, there's so many things to buy, not just COVID stuff. You know, I realize we've talked about COVID a fair bit in this episode, even though I didn't intend to. But there's other stuff that you need to buy, right? Like you might need to buy a laptop. You might need to buy a like a massage or chiropractic or like a treatment table, depending on what it is you do. You might have to buy uh, linens. You might have to buy various things for doing your treatments like acupuncture needles or creams, lotions. You know, you, you guys get it. There's a lot of expenses when it comes to opening a new office. So you might want to cheap out on the chair, like go ultra cheap and just say, oh, I'm just going to sit on, you know, the stool that I have available for when I'm, you know, doing a sit down part portion of a treatment or, Oh, you know, I don't even need a chair. I'll just like, I'll just stand and do that stuff. Well, or I'll just, I'll sit on my treatment table and have my laptop in my lap. That'll work. It'll be fine. And I also get that you want to focus your money on the client stuff. You know, I get it. Whether it's, you know, things that make your treatments better or classes that might make you a better practitioner or whatever. I get it. But let's be real. You are going to be spending a fair bit of time in that chair right? Replying to client emails, doing your charts, returning phone calls, doing marketing, doing your website updates, all of those things that you need to do when you run a practice solo. Even if you do most of those things from home, assuming you have an an office outside your home, I realize some of you have an office in your home, and that's a whole other thing. But you're still going to sometimes have space between clients and need to work on stuff at your office. You can't just go, well, you know, I I had a last minute cancellation. I would like to work on my website. I guess I'll walk all the way home so I can sit in my office chair at home and then walk all the way back. Like, why would you do that? Why don't you just have a decent space in your office so you can work on these things? So please, please, please take it from me, the old lady here with the bad back. You know, I'm, 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 I'm half kidding here, but seriously, get yourself a proper chair. You all know the importance of this. If you work in health and wellness, you probably tell your clients relatively frequently about the importance of posture, right? So your, your back will thank you, your own massage therapist or chiropractor or physio or osteopath or whoever you see for various aches and pains that come up will also thank you just... Yeah, do yourself a favor. It doesn't have to be a million dollar state of the art chair that you ordered from some super expensive office supply company. It can be something relatively simple, but just make sure it's something that is comfortable and gives you the back support that you need because just it's worth the expense. Okay, so that's it for this episode, you guys. Those are my top five things. And those five things, once again, are number one, a simple website doesn't have to be fancy schmancy, but something to get your name out there on the interwebs. Number two, online booking with online charting. If you have it, like if you need that, that is. Number three is easy payment processing, some sort of contactless processing that has a workflow with it that gets the receipts out, you know, nice and fast for you. Number four is a proper waiting space. I'm not going to go into that again. I already talked your ear off about the importance of having a safe waiting space for all your clients. And number five is a proper chair for you to use when you're doing non-client facing work because it's really important for you to take care of your own body so you can keep taking care of everyone else. So that's it for this episode. I hope that this was helpful to you and gave you some things to think about when opening your private practice. 
Um, next episode is going to be about some other things in this whole topic about uh, opening a strong and amazing and thriving private practice. That'll be up in approximately one week. And uh, until then, take care. And uh, I hope you're all doing well. And uh, stay safe out there. Hey, well, thank you so much for listening today, everyone. I really appreciate your time and the fact that you decided to join me in listening to this episode. Show notes are now available for podcast episodes, and they contain links to helpful resources and other information. So please do head over to happylittlebiz.com and check out the reading link. I've got show notes for individual episodes there, as well as articles on other topics for building a happy health or wellness business. Also, if you'd like to learn more about me, my background in healthcare and wellness, as well as, you know, what I'm doing with this current business, my website is the best place to do that. And I've also got links to my social media over there if you'd like to follow me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. And again, my website address is happylittlebiz.com. All the information is there. Now, while I got you, I'd like to mention I truly do appreciate it when people leave me a rating and or depending on what you want to do, review over on iTunes. So if you like this podcast, let me know by doing that. Just look up Life Beyond the Massage Table on iTunes and then click that Ratings and Reviews tab to leave your own rating or review or both. Okay, that's it for this week. I'm sure you have other things to do, so I'll let you get to them. Have a wonderful rest of your day and here's to building a sustainable, small health or wellness business all on your own terms. Talk to you soon.